break this down. Now, before we get to the gospel leadership traits that I was referring to, let's look at Philemon 1.6, all right? Because this is where it all starts. This is where really he sets the frame of the letter, Paul does. He says, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now, if you read that in today's world, it's like, wow, what does that mean? Paul's just doing one of his famous run-on sentences that everybody loves. But no, that wasn't just that. The key word he is saying here that we miss in the English that is so important in the Greek is the word sharing in English. Koinonia in the Greek. And basically that means partnership. All right, so our word sharing in this translation means partnership. And what Paul is saying here is that in this context that Paul is reminding Philemon that the faith that they have been given by God isn't a private thing. It isn't just one thing that God gave Philemon. It wasn't one thing God gave Paul and said, okay, do your own thing and you're going to work it out on your own. But it is something they have all been given together, that all who accept Christ have an obligation to share together in God's blessing, that it is a partnership. It is to think of it like a business, that you're doing this together. It is not my faith and my life. It is our faith and our life as we work it out together, partners in Christ. Now, faithfulness to Jesus requires us to recognize that we are all equal partners. None of us are better than the other, right? I say this week in and week out. Just because I stand here does not make me any better than any of you. We are equal partners in Christ. Now, we all share together in the gift of God's mercy, his love, and his grace. Our faith in Jesus may be personal, and it is, but it's not private. Don't make that mistake, okay? It may be a personal decision, but it's not a private faith. It is up to us to share in it and to share it to others. Paul understood that. He understood that true faith requires that we live in a community with each other, sharing God's grace as equal partners. So when we see that word sharing, it seems like a small word, but it has big, big implications. Now to Paul's understanding, this isn't just a simple concept or an idea. This is what moves him to action. This is what drives his gospel leadership. This is why he engages Philemon with this letter. He says, okay, we are partners in this. And now that we're partners in this, Let's walk through this and, and help me help you understand how this works and how this is going to work in Onesimus' life, in your life, Philemon. So we break it down here in verse 8 and 9. So if we hit the next slide, Jade. The first gospel leadership trait is a gospel living leader doesn't rely on power, but instead empowers others to make right choices. We see here in verse 8. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake... I prefer to appeal to you, all right? So Paul is saying, as an apostle, as someone who has been sent by Christ to organize and to spread the gospel and to be able to start Bible-believing and Jesus-believing cultures within this Roman Empire, I have the authority to tell you, Philemon, that you have this runaway slave and that you need to accept him back. And that you need not only to accept him back, but to, to make him your brother, to set him as an equal partner with you as I am an equal partner with you. But he doesn't command he doesn't, because the gospel living leader doesn't rely on power or authority to make someone do what they want them to do. He instead empowered Philemon. He says, I appeal to you for love's sake. As you love me and as I love you and as more importantly as Christ has loved us, I want to empower you to make the right decision. The decision that Jesus will make will be to welcome Onesimus back to your home, even though he stole from you even though he robbed you, even though he ran away, and even though as a slave he has no right in this society, I urge you, I appeal to you on the basis of Christ, partnership in Christ, that you receive him back as an equal. 
A gospel-living leader doesn't rely on power, but empowers others. In a gospel community, the power structure is inverted. We've talked about that before. In every other situation, worldly situation, that comes from the top down, right? We have a president, we have a congress, we have all these things, and the power, all the laws that are made and all the decisions that are made come from the top down, and we're all affected by those things. But a gospel-living culture, this body that we have here, and every true body of Christ is doing things the right way, the power structure is inverted, right? The first shall be last. The last shall be first. That is what a gospel community looks like, us serving one another as equal partners in love, all for the sake of Jesus. God doesn't force us to accept Jesus and live by his standards, does he? He doesn't. God will not force us. He has all the power, all the authority in the whole universe, but yet he will not force anybody to make a decision to follow Jesus and to live by the standards that are set in the Bible. It is up to each and every one of us to accept those standards. Now, he wants us to make that decision because he knows that's the best life we could possibly live. You want to live a great life? You want to live a life that's completely, radically different from those around you? You want to live your best life? It's living it within a gospel context, living the good news of Jesus Christ who came to save you, who died for you, who lives again for us so that we can live a better life now in in eternity with him. But he doesn't force it to happen. He offers forgiveness and freedom, but it's up to us to make the decision. So Paul follows that leadership example. He empowers Philemon by allowing him to make the choice. When we live that leadership trait, we give people the opportunity to see Christ impact their life and see how their choice impacts others. I could try, I probably wouldn't be very successful, but I could try to get you to come together for this fire EMS dinner and say, man, I, I, I want you there. Be there that day and try to make it all happen. But you're probably going to hold a grudge against me for making you come and serve. But if I give you the opportunity to step up and serve, say serve alongside me as we serve the community, that empowers you and gives you the, the ability to see your blessing affect others. That's what Paul is doing here. Trait number two. Next one, Jaden. Trait number two. A gospel living leader believes in the power of gospel transformation. We see in verse 10, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I love Paul's wordplay. We kind of miss it here in the English, uh, but uh, Onesimus' name actually means useful. But he became useless whenever he stole from Philemon. As a slave, he was considered useful because he was doing the chores that nobody else wanted to do. But when he stole and ran away, he became useless. So what happened here, though, is whenever he came to Paul, Paul gives, Jesus, gives Onesimus the good news. He didn't turn Onesimus away. Here's what he could have done, right? You think about this. If someone had wronged one of you, have stolen from one of you, and they come to me, I have the opportunity to say, you just stole from my brother and sister in Christ. You need to go back right now before we do anything else and work that out because I'm not harboring fugitives or doing that. I could, didn't, I could do that. But if I'm, Paul, if I'm living the example that Paul gives us, I give the good news first. I say that although you have stolen, although you have become from useful to useless, that I know that there is a God in heaven that sent Jesus his son to live and to die for us, for just this type of person that you have become, just the type of person that steals and lies and cheats and runs away from the problems in your life, that I know that even though you feel like you're broken, but you don't have to stay that way. 
that I have good news that he died for you. That Yes, even you, Onesimus, even you who are useless, he died for you so that you can become transformed by that good news to live the better life, to become even more than you were before, to be useful. Again, that is the power of the gospel. That is the good news that we carry. That is the life that we live. We can become bogged down in this life by seeing the brokenness around us. We can look around us and be tired of people cussing us out, tired of people getting in our lives and messing with us and, and doing things that just disrupt what we want to do. We just want to be in our bubble and be happy little people, right? But every single day, there's someone or something that's going to get in your bubble and get in your face and challenge you to live life differently than you are called to live. And each day you have to go back and say, my God loves me and he died for me. And I can love you even though you're not making it very easy on me right now. And I can share that same good news with you. Just as Paul did Onesimus. The gospel has the power to transform what is broken into wholeness. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't accept Onesimus' brokenness. He didn't say, oh, you got to go back to Philemon. you got to deal with that problem first and then you can come back and see me. We'll talk about being a believer of Jesus. He said, no, let me take you to the cross where things that are broken are made whole. And then, and then, we can talk about your situation with Philemon. He understood what was really important. We get wrapped up in things that aren't very important, don't we? We think that the people that, the, the people that have wronged us and the situations, it's all about us. Oh man, it's such a problem that somebody has wronged me, that somebody has hurt my feelings today, that I've gone through my life and, and people this week have just jumped all over my case. And we get so wrapped up in that. And Paul understands the situation more so than, than anybody else besides Jesus, I think, because he looked past that. He said, you know what's more important, Onesimus, than this problem right here, right now? Is your relationship with, with God. Is your relationship with Jesus. Because no matter what happens with Philemon, the rest of your life and the rest of your afterlife rests on this decision. Rests on you fixing this now before you can fix that relationship later. He had the context. He had the sight to see past the problems that so engage us each and every day. When we live a leadership trait like Paul lives, we give the people the opportunity to see Christ impact that brokenness and to lead them to wholeness. Now, Paul didn't just accept Onesimus' conversion and leave him there to sort out life on his own. That's happened too. You ever come somewhere, maybe you've gone to a revival or maybe you've seen a program on television and you say, man, I want to change my life. I want to live differently. Or I hear the good news and I, I understand it. I want to accept it. And then you do it and you're just left there. And you're like, well, I guess that's it. I, I don't know what to do next. I guess I'll kind of just stand here and see what happens. <laughs> right? No, you're not going to just fly away, right? You got to live life. Paul didn't, ex didn't wait, wait and leave Onesimus at his conversion. He didn't say, all right, Onesimus, see you later. It was nice meeting you. I'm glad I shared the good news with you. I'm glad you accepted it. Have a great time. He takes him and displays trait number three, which is the next slide. A gospel living leader stands in the gap for others. Verse 10, I appeal to you, Paul says. Paul, I'm writing to you, Philemon, for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in imprisonment. Well, that's a metaphor. Obviously, he didn't become... He didn't adopt Onesimus himself, uh, according to Roman law, but Onesimus became his brother in Christ. He led him to Christ for the very first time. So Paul's saying he's become like a child of mine, a new child of faith under my wing, even though he's a, a middle-aged man probably. I've become his father. So now that he is my fellow brother, now that he's an equal partner, I will stand in the gap for you, Onesimus. I appeal to you for my child. 
I will fight for you, Onesimus, to my brother Philemon. I will take you and help you work through this problem together. Paul led Onesimus to Christ and then appealed on his behalf for reconciliation. Now, Paul appeals to Philemon not just for justice, right? Paul didn't say, okay, Onesimus, you go back to Philemon, and I'm going to write Philemon and say, okay, you do what the law requires. Because if he sent him back and said, get your justice, Philemon, on what Onesimus did to you, Onesimus would either be beaten, imprisoned, or dead. Right? If Philemon reacted the way any Roman citizen would have reacted, a man who owned slaves had the authority to do whatever he wanted to to his slaves. And if you became uh, disobedient because Romans were incredibly insecure and they were uh, afraid of a slave, resur- or a slave revolution, uh, then they had severe penalties for slaves who did not obey their masters. So as a master, he had the authority to punish him in any way he saw fit, including death, with no regard. Philemon would not have been charged any wrong for killing Onesimus. Anything. He would have been well within his right. But Paul says, I don't want you to serve justice on Onesimus. I want you to offer forgiveness. Paul doesn't simply write and say, hey, I'm sending your slave back to you. Do what you think is best. He sends Onesimus back so that Onesimus can ask forgiveness and so that Philemon can give it. He gives them the opportunity to make that decision to reconcile their relationship. Here's the thing. You see it over and over and over again throughout the Bible. You can't be reconciled with Jesus. You can't have a right relationship with God through faith in Christ without also at least attempting to reconcile with those in your life that you have a problem with or who have a problem with you. You can't. One or the other is you can't separate these things because we don't live two separate lives, or we shouldn't. We should be reconciled all to each other. All relationships. All reconciled. That's what gospel living looks like. That's what Paul understood. He stood in the gap so that Onesimus and Philemon could make the right decision to reconcile to each other. Which leads us to trait number four. Next slide, Jaden. A gospel living leader sacrifices their wants for the betterment of the community they serve. This is a tough one. Not all of them are tough. This is pretty tough. Sacrificing their wants for the betterment of the community. Verse 12 says, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by my compulsion, but of your own accord. I would have kept him. Paul loved Onesimus. He was with him when he was in prison. He was serving him. He was helping him. He was an awesome helper. He was was a servant of servants. And he saw the need in Paul, and he wanted to be there to help him. And Paul wanted to keep him there. Paul said, but I'm sending back my very heart to you, Philemon. I'm giving you the decision. And I'm letting go of what I want to serve the need of the community. By releasing Paul, or by Paul releasing Onesimus, he gave them the opportunity to both grow in Christ. We lead effectively when we put the needs of others before our own. Five, let's go to the next one. A gospel living leader challenges others to live like a radical and encourages them to continue to follow Christ. All right? Live like a radical. Fifteen here. For this perhaps is why he was parted for you for a while, that you might have him back forever. 
no longer as a bondservant or a slave, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? All right? So he's saying that, I want to kick it up a notch to you, Philemon. And this is, we don't, maybe miss, we miss this because we don't have the context that Paul is living in. But again, we've got to remember where, we're com- where he's coming from, that a slave had no rights. And as a bondservant to Philemon, Onesimus was just at his mercy. All right? And he was a second-class citizen. Remember the, the video we saw at the very beginning, right? We had first class, you fly on the airplane in first class, and you can get up there and you can have the, the best drinks, and you can have the biggest seat where you can spread out and kick back and relax, and you're not all tight up in the, with your knees like rammed up in your chest trying to, trying to watch something or whatever you're doing, maybe trying to sleep. He's not saying... That's, that's, that's the situation they were in. The social classes they were in was Philemon was up here and Onesimus was down here. Now, we don't have slaves anymore, I hope. I don't think any of us have slaves anymore. Uh, I think that's against the law. But uh, we do have second-class citizens, don't we? And we are second-class citizens. You have people who seem to have it all, and some situations do, and they live up on the mountain, and they have acres and acres of land or they have the biggest house in the valley whatever the case is they live high on the hog would be a southern saying i don't know what the phrase is for up here but they live great lives and they're up here in the, the top end they're the first class right and then the rest of us or other people live down here and you don't have to say anything you know whether what class you're in right yeah you don't have to be slave or master but class situations still exist So what Paul asked Philemon to do was take Onesimus, who was down here socially, and bring him up to where Philemon was. Now, I think this is important because I think what we our natural tendency to do, particularly in our culture today, is that we think, okay, we have class structure, but we want the upper class to come down to the masses, right? Let's, let's, Let's rob from the rich and give to the poor. Let's redistribute the wealth. Let's put everything from up here down here so that we're all down here together. That's the world's way of sorting problems out, to, 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 to shorten the divide. Jesus says, take those who are down here and bring them up here to you. That's how God sorts the divide out. That's what a gospel community looks like, bringing those who are, who are poor and in need and not leaving them there and not making... Uh, yourself so poor that you can't help others and come down there and live in the squalor, but to raise up from the squalor to say, come live in the palace with the, with the child of the king. Let's live this together. That's what the gospel looks like. That's what Paul was saying to Philemon. It was a radically countercultural request. All right? This would have been something that would just would not be done. Now, it was one thing to free a slave, but it's another thing entirely to do what Paul is asking. If Paul... If Philemon accepts Paul's appeal, this is going to completely change Onesimus' life and will consider him Philemon's equal. This would have been almost unheard of at the time. It wouldn't have been done. Nowhere else, no other religion would have said do this. But the gospel says do it. Paul was encouraging Philemon. He says, don't just let Onesimus back on the plane, going back to our metaphor, bump him up to first class with you. Make yourself equal together, partners in Christ as I and you are. In Christ, the field is leveled. 
There is no Jew or Gentile. There is no civilized or uncivilized. There is no slave or free, but all are family in Christ. If you ever lived in a situation where you've seen the poor and you've seen the rich, you understand how important this is. You understand how radically different this is. You understand that this is life-changing community living. Life-changing. Now, Philemon had already opened his home to other believers, but to do this would have been a dramatic step of faith. Yet Paul was confident. He says, I believe that you're going to do it. I believe you're up to the challenge, and I'm going to encourage you to continue in your obedience. He says, I'm confident. Even though I, have, I don't have to make you do this, I know because I've seen your actions. I'm confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. A good leader looks at those who he is leading or she is leading and sees and understands where they are and knows where they can be and encourages them to continue pressing on to get to where they should be, to get to that next level, to say, I know, Paul says, Philemon, I know this is going to be hard, but you're going to do it, and you're going to keep doing it. You're going to do even more than I say and ask. Gospel leaders lead others to greater and greater heights, challenge them to greater and greater trials so they can become greater and greater leaders, which leads us to trait six, which is really a combination of all of these, you hit the next one, Jane. A gospel living leader empowers, equips, encourages, releases, and reproduces. We don't know for certain what happened after this letter was sent, but the general consensus historically is that Onesimus and, and Philemon were reconciled, that Philemon was obedient, as Paul thought he would be, and that Onesimus would eventually become a leader in the local church at Colossae and later even in Ephesus, and he was one of the biggest leaders at Ephesus. He was, in their days, would have been a bishop, which would have been over a lot of house churches at the time. From slave to a leader of many, many men and women. And it all started because Paul, a gospel-living leader, gave them an opportunity to live a gospel-living life, to live radically different and to encourage them to pursue that life through the thick and thin, through the challenges that we are given. And no doubt, Onesimus would later live that same life and lead people that same way. The question is, will we? Will we do it? I want to encourage you this week. Jane hit that last slide. I think I squeezed them all together on one. Yeah, I did. All right, squeezed them all together on one. I encourage you to take a look at this list. You can take a picture of it with your phone. You can uh, refer back to it again on the podcast that will be released on Wednesday. This is the list. I want you to turn this, these six traits into a checklist. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it on whatever you need to put it on to remember. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Look at these lists every single day, especially this week. Be taken with you. Keep, keep, them, keep them up in front of you every, every time you can turn around. Turn it into a checklist. Where do you rank on these? Which of these describe you and which of these do you need God's help to work through? All right. We are all, as I said last week, striving to be gospel living leaders, each and every single one of us. I challenge you as I've been challenged by this message. Are we living up to this? Are these are the traits that we live by? If they're not, they should be. How can we get there? How can I help you get there? How can you help me get there? Right? How can we push ourselves forward to the next step to be where God wants us to be? Now, you may only check one box right now. You might not check any of those boxes. Right? <laughs> you might not. 
But with reading, with prayer, with encouragement, day by day, month by month, year by year, we can begin to work through all of these. And what I'm super excited to see is how God is going to take this community, this gospel community here, these leaders here, and transform us and mold us into what he wants us to be. The great thing about being a body is to see how it grows, how it flourishes like a flower in the spring, how it stretches forward in the summer, how it goes through fall and changes its leaves and survives the tough trials of winter and comes through even bigger and stronger next year. That is what God is doing here. How are we living it? How are we leading it? What are we doing to get better? Let's get there together to begin to share and see how God is growing us as a family, as a body of Christ. Let's pray this morning.